Town Hall Academy, episode 49. If you have one tech doing two hours per day, it costs the shop $65,000 a year in lost revenue just to provide that service. It's no wonder there are shops that are not profitable at this. If you're not going to charge the proper fee for testing and analyzing, then don't offer the service because you will put yourself out of business. You'd be better off doing brake jobs, timing belts, and maintenance all day long. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome, aftermarket professionals from North America and around the world to Town Hall Academy number 49 on how to sell diagnostics. Carm Capriato here, and I may sound a bit redundant, but here again is another very strong lesson to help you in your business. I promise your money's worth for sure with Chris Chesney, Matt Fonslow, and Jeremy O'Neill. The Academy is supported by Jasper Engines and Transmissions. In addition to the strict quality remanufacturing steps they take at Jasper, they can actually improve a drivetrain component's original design so that it runs longer and better than when it was new. Check out their featured engine and transmission pages at jasperengines.com. I hope you liked the soundbite in the beginning. There were about 10 very powerful soundbites I could have used as an interest hook for you to see the value in this episode. But please take my word, this is a business transformation episode. Find the show notes and special offer from Jeremy at remarkableresults.biz slash A049. And also find the key talking points so you can get started on improving your profits from diagnostics. Here are just a few transformative talking points. Diagnostics out. Testing and analysis in. Process, process, process. Yes, defining a written process for testing and analysis that integrates the shop and service counter brings confidence to both the tech and the service advisor to be problem solvers together. We talked accountability, the excuses on why techs won't go to training, creating and selling your shop's testing and analyzing skills as a premium product, Stop selling labor hours and build testing packages. And we talked Swaptronics and substitution analysis, multiple labor rates that pair with your leveled testing services, and among others, you must be paid for your expertise because the cost of doing diagnostics is the most expensive service you have in the building. And never forget, you solve problems, not fix cars. Have I piqued your interest? I'm sure. Now, listen to Chris Chesney, Senior Director, Customer Training at CarQuest Technical Institute, Jeremy O'Neill from Freedom Automotive and Advisor Fix, and Matt Fonslow, Shop Manager and Lead Tester and Analyst from Red Wing Automotive. Chris, I want to bring you in with the first question. Great topic here. Chris, I guess what we need to do is define diagnostics. Well, that's a good question because it means different things to different people. Uh, It means something to the shop owner. It usually means it's something I do that I don't make any money on. To the tech, it means it's something I do that I don't get paid for. And to the consumer, it means I don't know. At the end of the day, the consumer, the, the motorist, wants their car fixed. They don't really shop for diagnostics or diagnosis. They want their car fixed. So it becomes a confusing topic when we try to sell something that the customer doesn't understand. Great point. And, and so many people over the years, and I continue to hear something. Matt, it was, it was us the other night when we had our Tech Talk Part 4 you said to us, and that episode isn't released yet, if you're not charging for diagnostics, how can you pay the person to diagnose? And the counter to that is, I guess when you get a brake job done, you pay for that, you pay for the labor, you pay for the person to do that. Why wouldn't we be getting paid for the knowledge level that we have? So, Matt, one of the things is you got to decide what level diagnostician you're going to be. Maybe what level diagnostician, but also what kind of a, what are you, what are you going to be offering? To what level do you want to, uh, do diagnostics, uh, analyze vehicles, what systems, uh, if we go aftermarket uh, tooling, a lot of time you're, you're kind of limited by what you're going to actually be diagnosing. And then do you want to go beyond the diagnostics portion and into the 
finishing the repair, completing the repair, uh, programming, initializing, uh, stuff like that. And that's something you have to decide as a owner, a manager with your people. What car lines are you going to do this on? You know, all of them, a select few. And then how are you going to divide up who's going to do what? Are you going to have one person that kind of specializes in doing the diagnosing, the analyzing, making the diagnostic decisions, and then the others will do the repairs? Or, you know, so-and-so tech A is going to do domestics, tech B might stick more with Asian and tech uh, C, Euro. So what you're saying is specialization is on the horizon or should be when it comes to diagnostics? Uh, it might be forced specialization to a, a degree, right? We're talking about uh, different, uh, really different perspectives, right? One is specializing in car lines. The other is maybe specializing in systems. So your shop might work on all makes all models, but you might have one person that sticks mostly to a certain uh, you know, import car line or domestic car line, or one guy special, kind of like in my situation, I do 99.5% of the uh, analysis and diagnostic decisions. So you're the generalist. Yeah. And do you see your shop ever having um, a, a person totally immersed in European? Not in the near future. Okay, but you know that and you have the equipment to fix that. Yes, most of it. Let's talk about how you see the future based on you know the different platforms. Will we see a general re repair shop have uh, take a particular tech and send them to a total specialty school and have every piece of equipment? I mean, he he owns European. It would be rough, but I can see a, the shop has to make that decision, right? I think we've seen early on in Remarkable Results podcasts a lot of discussion about specializing in limited number of car lines. But recently, you've had a few shop owners who have had these specialist shops come along and say, you know what, we're going to do a little more Walmart. I think the term was Walmart. <laughs> yeah. And to pull that off, you have to have either an individual or a couple of individuals that can focus on the systems. They're not going to be pulling in a car, doing a check engine light or a, an illuminated mill or a drivability issue. And then the next car they're bringing in, doing a brake job. The next car they're pulling it in and doing timing chains. They're going to have to kind of focus on the analysis portion and remain familiar not only with the test equipment, but the service information and the access of that service information and the training for it, focusing on that training area where you might have one guy who specializes mostly in steering suspension. You're sending them the training for the alignment, alignment machine, using that, accessing that information quickly. You ask them a question, they know the answer. They don't have to do a lot of research because they're, you know, marinated in it. Same with diagnostics or analysis. Chris, it's a great concept, uh, and, and it's not necessarily a concept, but instead of a specialty shop, it's specialized within the team. Absolutely. At the end of the day, I think Matt's spot on. Uh, specializing in car makes uh, is sensible and is already done across the country, but specializing in disciplines. Uh, somebody might someday become a data network specialist, and that's really all they focus on is data network. Uh, so at the same time, you can't spend the money on that guy that you're going to pay a premium for and have them go diagnose a alternator or a battery or a wheel bearing or something of that nature, where you might have another specialist that's focused on undercar diagnostics. And again, it gets down to the term diagnostics and what does it mean and, and that sort of thing. Uh, my opinion, we need to ban the word uh, from our lips and talk more about testing and analyzing the results to our customer. But when we're talking about preparing our techs, we need to have the right equipment, as Matt mentioned. We need to have the right skill sets as technicians. And then you need to keep them focused on that discipline so that they can practice their trade. You can't expect Matt to, to retain his skill set by having him do flat tire repairs on a waiter basis when they roll in. That's not fair to the business. It's not fair to him. And more importantly, it's not fair to the customer. 
Jeremy, I'm going to get you in a minute, but, you know, eventually, Matt, you're going to be a, an engineer of sorts, you know, in the not-too-distant future. You may not have that title, but to a degree, <laughs> you, you're going to become an electrical engineer of sorts. 500 million lines of code. I don't know. Let's, let's think about that. I don't know if engineer is the right word. Engineer, to me, to me means creating, engineering, uh, where I'm going to be mostly the, the analysis and processing of that data and finding the faults. So maybe a detective, I don't know. I'll always stand corrected by you. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. Hey, I'm with Brian Weeks from ATC Auto Center. Hey, are your customers investing in Jasper? Absolutely. Um, and I think that uh, the biggest thing is, is in the world of automotive nowadays, uh, let's don't talk about parts and labor so much. You know, when you, when you look at the mechanical side of it and look at the parts and labor side, you know, you're, you're selling cu- the customer a transmission, but what you're really doing is selling peace of mind. So it's not hard convincing customers to invest in their vehicle. Uh, we don't feel like it is. Uh, we, we haven't really had an issue with that. You know, it's, it's not for everybody. And, you know, in certain situations, you may have uh, somebody that doesn't necessarily see that value, but it's our responsibility to show the value that Jasper has. It's not about your transmission is going to shift through all five gears now. It's more about you can take the kids to soccer this evening without having a problem. You'll be able to make it to work tomorrow without a problem. You can go on that vacation and not have a worry. That's what it's more about. And Jasper provides that so that we can offer that to the customer. Hey, Brian, thanks for your time. Carm, thank you. Jeremy, uh, wow, 12 minutes in, I kept Jeremy quiet. It's amazing. I I just can't believe this happened. I know. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) Send the coffee card. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I I can't believe you. We planned this. We see how long can we keep Jeremy bundled up? You know, here we're here talking about selling diagnostics, and and I know you, you go out and you teach a class, and you got to charge for the diagnostic business if you expect to make any money. Well, and and I want to make a comment just to what Chris and Matt were talking about, and I think as an industry, and it's interesting, my career is kind of I got started in this business, you know, when I was a child, started in '91. So a lot of my experiences from the 90s and early 2000s, and I still see shops that are stuck in that mindset. And the challenge is this. When it comes to fixing cars today, we can't be singularly focused. In other words, I agree with Chris, removing the word diagnose, diagnostic out of the language, I think it's great. Hard to do. Get off of the singular focus. And we have to become a, a holistic healthcare practitioner because there's so many systems that overlap. The first thing I want to do at my shop is we do a baseline inspection. We're checking fluids. We're looking at the external wiring. We're looking at the car and assessing it and even identifying. These cars are so neglected today that if you don't have the proper maintenance done on it and you have basic things, there are shops that are misdiagnosing two to $3,000 jobs that the car was low on engine oil. Now, that's shame on the shop because they didn't check one of the basic things first and they were singularly focused on the code or that one diagnostic process. We've got to stop that and start taking in and getting the customer to buy into our holistic healthcare approach and bring these cars up to speed on maintenance. It's so hard for our technicians if they don't have the service history, they don't know if the spark plugs have been changed, they don't know how the oil change has been done, what type of oil has been in the car, what type of oil filter. We've got to stop with this singular focus and become look at the car overall from bumper to bumper and make sure that it's a good car to start working on and get those problems solved first because we get ourselves into a lot of trouble with that. So that's what I raised my hand for. So thank you. That was inside for like 12 minutes. My head was ready to explode. Perfect. Thank you. It really was good. Thanks, man. Glad I'm glad we waited. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, And then you asked for questions on charging. Yeah. Uh, If you're in the diag business, you've got to charge fairly, right? Well, absolutely. And I think one of the things we have to understand, and service advisors have really got to understand this, the cost of providing diagnostic services. If you have one technician doing two hours of diagnostic services per day, which is super light today, 80% of the cars that come into our shop start with a drivability concern. Okay. So my guys are spending four to six hours a day testing and analyzing vehicles. If you have one tech doing two hours per day, it costs the shop $65,000 a year in lost revenue just to provide that service. It's no wonder there are shops that are not profitable at this. If you're not going to charge the proper fee for testing and analyzing, then don't offer the service because you will put yourself out of business. You'd be better off doing brake jobs, timing belts, and maintenance all day long. 
Got it. Makes so much sense. When the car comes in, Chris, is 80% of the cars that are coming in have a drivability issue, Chris? Or Jeremy, I think you said. So I guess, Chris, you've got to have almost a triage mentality to figure it all out. You know, we've tried to align ourselves with the medical industry forever. And we've gone about it the wrong way. We now need to look at them and model our programs and our workflow after what they do. Jeremy's spot on in that in the 90s, that business model was pretty simple. Uh, We waited for a car to show up. It was broke. We fixed it. We sent it home. As drivability and OBD kicked in and as it's enhanced itself to what it is today, they're so complex that if you don't triage or as Jeremy is doing, do that, uh, that first look at the vehicle and gather all the information, all the TSBs, the service history, at least do a rudimentary pulling of codes and data and let an experienced triage tech determine where this vehicle should be, should be dispatched in the shop. And that won't work for a small shop, but for a large shop that has more than one or two people that can diagnose problems, this allows you to make sure the car gets in front of the right technician. So when it comes to triage, it's just preparing the vehicle to be viewed by the specialist who's assigned to that vehicle at the end of the day instead of that tech running back and forth, trying to find that information, trying to gather the TSBs, trying to get a starting point where if that's served up to him at the very beginning, he can be more successful uh, and more efficient. Is triage something that is, is natural for someone to understand how you assess the severity? Will there be training, Chris, for example, on that? There has to be. I mean, Jeremy alluded to the 1990 business model. We've been in it for over 50 years, even prior to that. We need to break down our business models and remodel them for today's vehicles, today's uh, customers, uh, and today's business climate. And triage or at least serving the technician what he needs to be successful is the only way that the production team in your shop is going to produce at an efficient level that provides uh, positive impact to your bottom line. Matt, when you think about working with a tech doing diagnostics and a service advisor, is there a special relationship there? Uh, There probably should be. I don't know if there really is. I don't know if there's a really good relationship with most service advisors and technicians. But surprise, surprise that he would say surprise. that. Surprise. Um, but really, <laughs> I'm going to say that it's all the technician's fault, Matt, not the service advisor's fault. It's at least 51% of our fault. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to cut in here. I'm sorry. I, I just, I had, I just got a call like 20 minutes ago. The kid calls me up for a price on a, a front pump seal on his transmission. So I started asking him some questions and come to find out the car has been sitting. And I said, look, do yourself a favor. Stop calling shops and asking for a price on this component. Cause here's what they're going to do. They're going to write the car up to replace that front pump seal. When the technician gets that job, what's he going to do? I said, what you want to do is call the shop and ask him, how much do you charge for a root cause analysis? And the kid goes, what the heck is that? I said, exactly. Most auto repair shops aren't even going to know what that is. You need to ask them, how are they going to solve your concern? What is your concern? Well, I have transmission leak, fluid leaking on the ground. Great. Ask for that. Let the technician do his job. Focus on your symptom or concern. Forget about trying to get a price on the component because that'll get you into trouble. So to this point, I think... As a service advisor, yes, I've got to have a great relation with my technician, and I want to deliver as much information to Matt as possible. I want a great written repair order. He should be able to read it, understand the the symptom that the customer is having. Service history should be there. Uh, If it's a first-time customer into our shop and we're doing a drivability, we ask the customer to bring their service records down. I want to see all that information. And it's got to be a seamless transition from the advisor to the tech And that's a partnership that has to work. And if it isn't working, you need to spend some time team building that because it's costing you a ton of money. And guess what? If I don't have a good relationship with Matt, I'm going to frustrate him and he'll look for another place to work. And I don't want to replace Matt right now. Or vice versa, right? If you've got a superstar service advisor and the tech can't get along with him and doesn't see the value of having a superstar service advisor, they're going to lose the service advisor. And that doesn't help the business either. 
but honestly, when it comes down to it, as mentioned already, the service advisor has to understand the the value, you know, the cost of the business or potential cost of the business, the value of offering diagnostics, you know, analysis, coming up with diagnostic decisions that are accurate and efficient. And then the technician has to give the service advisor a reason to trust them with their process and the um, decisions that they come up with. If you've got uh, a group of people or even a, a single tech in the back that uh, analysis is swaptronics or substitution analysis, service advisor is not going to have a whole lot of confidence in that tech. And that makes it very difficult to sell that to the client, right? Because service advisor in many ways is the shop's uh, number one fan. They're the cheerleader. They're up front selling the technician's uh, skills and the shop's capabilities to the client. And if they don't believe in it, it's hard to fake that. So Matt, what you're telling me is when a technician brings me a report, I just have to ask him, are you sure? In a very sarcastic tone of voice, and that'll keep <laughs> the relationship going well. Um, that, that question might have been cultivated earlier by other <laughs> decisions made or uh, what, the, what the tech came up with that didn't... Uh, end up being correct. Or he just went to an online database and pulled it off and handed it to you. Ah, yep. Okay. So the 96 repairs that have been confirmed <laughs> tested correctly, correct? Yeah. Right, so. right. But it's, a, it's a testing and analysis package, Carmen. Basically, what it's going to do for you is it's going to solve your problem and get you back on the road in the most efficient way. So uh, let's get it started. That's why I come here. Awesome. I trust you. Would you like a cup of coffee while you're waiting? I'd love it. Excellent. Colombian, dark roast. Um, Whatever you need. So, so here's my question, Jeremy. You're out. You're, you're, you're training. Uh, you've got a class selling diagnostics. When you open up your class, and, and um, how many people put up their hands saying, I'm struggling with this? Even if you think you haven't mastered, I think you struggle with it. You know, there's that moment where you write the repair order and you ask the customer to sign the estimate, and there's hundreds of dollars on the ticket for testing. And the customer looks at you with the kind of frown and you're going to charge me for this. And it's at that precise moment that if you don't believe in your charges and that they're worth every cent that you're asking for, nine times out of 10, you'll either, well, let's just do this. Go and sign the ticket and then we'll see how long it takes them. And if I can save you money, I will. You know, one of the things that we talk, so to answer your question, I think 80% of the people that come into the, the diagnostic course don't have a good plan on addressing it. And there's a couple different phases that we have. We have an initial assessment. We need to assess the vehicle first. Then you go into different levels. Okay, typical cars, you give a technician an hour or so on the vehicle. They can come up with some good sort of answer, do some testing on it. And we've broken it down a little bit different in our shop. I'm not going to go into details on how we we sell our packages or build them. But we got to get out of selling time. Time is just one factor in the diagnostic process. So gathering information, doing hands-on pinpoint testing is part of it. So the time has to go away. And then I think if you look at the business model, um, the belief in your diagnostic charges has to be there. If you don't, it's the diagnostic services are most riskiest proposition as a shop. That's the one like what I love how Matt opened up uh, one of his earlier comments was, when you do the diagnostic test, then you've got to verify and get the car ready. Okay, that could take a half hour to an hour in and of itself to make sure that it's actually fixed. You give a technician a timing belt job, when he puts that, you know, puts the radiator cap on the thing and he's going and doing his road test, you're 99% sure that job's done. A hardcore drivability concern, you're maybe 10% sure that you're going to be in the green. And then road test, codes are clear, everything's great. So I think we have to understand. Our testing is a fee for service. Once the test is complete, the fee has been earned. And that's the language we need to use to get customers to understand it's no different than going to the doctor. Okay. And we use the medical analogies all day long. However, for your concern, Mr. Client, for my technician to invest his time, for our shop to invest our resources, there is going to be a fee for the testing. Now, at this point in time in class, I teach this. You have the keys from the customer. You are in control of the car. When you get pushback on the estimate, it's okay to say, here's our fee for service. And if you don't want to pay it, you slide the keys back to them across the counter and don't get involved in it. 
because I'm not going to waste any of my technicians time trying to solve your concern if you're not willing to invest the right amount of money in testing and analyzing your problem. We have to do root cause analysis. And once the test is confirmed, I'm going to have a ton of reports. I'll have a ton of information for you. We'll review the results together. And you're paying for this. One reason customers don't want to pay for our testing is they don't get anything. What do they get? They get a repair order with, you know, some parts and labor on it. Well, what did your technician do to provide value for your client? So what you see here, this is a printout from one of our scan tools. And I know it's probably hard to see, but I've actually had, we've isolated exactly the root cause and where whatever it was glitched out. And when you show these things to customers, their head literally explodes with purple smoke. They have no clue what I'm showing them. But the fact that I've got this technology and I can show them what their test paid for and how we came to a verifiable, yeah. factual, conclusive result that your car is going to be fixed, it's, they're it's happy. vapor until they see a report. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we maybe skipped over it early on, but I think Chris was kind of um, hinting towards it as the word diagnostic too often is associated with plug it in. The magic machine tells the tech what is wrong, tells the service advisor, the service advisor checks on prices of parts, how long it's going to take to put it in, and boom, the car is fixed. And like Jeremy just showed, we're not selling just you know plugging it in and plugging a machine in, scan tool in, having it belch out what's wrong with this car. There's an actual diagnostic process, a, you know, gathering of data processing that data and coming up with a decision. Again, going back to the medical world, because it's easy, you would never, nobody thinks that a doctor hooks up an EKG or shoves you in an MRI and in great big letters above the MRI, it says, oh, herniated disc, C5. Then that doesn't happen. Nobody would ever think that. That's the information. That's what we got to explain to our clients. The motoring public has to learn that no, it doesn't tell you what is wrong. It gathers data, different types of data for us to process, analyze, and then come up with a uh, diagnostic decision or uh, uh, a way of what we're going to do to fix your car now. So everyone who's listening needs to understand that we all need to be talking heads about the value of what's going on, the training that we've had, the magic machine that cost a ton of money, that we had to learn how to use it, and... I love the point about the magic machine. And I think, you know, so many people say, I'm going to just pull into a place. They're going to come out. They're going to tell me the code. I'm going to buy an oxygen sensor and I'm going to pray that that's exactly what it was. And I think there has been a dumbing down of the consumer. And, and, and to your point, Jeremy, and I love it, you know, there's more to all of this. And I loved your quote. And I think we need to all adopt it as part of the Talking Heads mission of our industry. Testing fee for services. I, I loved those those words combined together. It, 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 as I was listening to them, I was shaking my head that I understand why I have to pay this. Testing fee for services. And when you're face-to-face -face with a customer and you, you end that with, once the test is complete, the fee has been earned, don't you agree? They will not argue with you. And if they do, hand them the keys back and let the other shops in town that are going to try to do things for free, watch them go out of business in the next two to three years. Guaranteed. Going to happen. I wrote the rest of that quote down. Awesome. So one other thing that I, I would encourage advisors to do, go in the shop and spend some time. I would love, and Matt, if I can, this year, I'm going to come spend a day with you in your shop and just follow around. And I want to see what you do. So I have a better understanding of the, this technical stuff. I want to look at the scan data. I want to look at lab scopes. I want to see the patterns and how you factually find things out. I mean, this gets me really excited. So it's so crazy. I'll take our, our scan tool and I'll bring it into our office. We have a 32 inch big screen TV. And so then we plug it in and then we play the video back of all the graphs and the customers sit there, their eyes get super big and they're like, what is all that? I'm like, that's a great question. That's why my technician's really good. That's why you got to pay us to test this because he understands how to read each one of those lines and where it's at. I don't. So that's why we have awesome technicians. They're worth their weight in gold. <laughs> yeah, did you ever see and someone it, read an EKG? Uh, I'm going to bring right. in the guy who can read your EKG on your car. Yeah, it, and my question is, why haven't we given our advisors that type of data, that information? I get so frustrated right now with my staff because we have a transparent repair process. We have a complete digital shop management system. The customer can see and chat with us on our repair order. 
And when we're analyzing a car, I want to take pictures of everything. Take a picture of the oil dipstick. Show We should have 30 to 40 pictures on every car. And if I'm not out there pushing it, it's we get three to four. And the results are amazing. That When you have the photos and you document everything, five-star reviews come. Customers are high-fiving us and hugging us. And the repair is awesome. And you can look back and say, oh, this was here. You've got the visual evidence. And then when we don't do our job, I honestly feel that we didn't earn our, earn our fee because all we put on there was level one diagnosis with no backup behind it. We didn't show the customer and engage them in that process. It's, it's time to shift that over. It's time to lift the veil from behind the shop and engage and enroll the customer. I mean, I'm not going to educate them on what, you know, um, you know, the graphs mean and all that, but I am going to show them exactly the point of where my technician saw the failure. And if we take these photos and show videos and have the data out of the scan tool, that's providing value that we haven't been able to deliver um, in the last 20 years. So now it's here. We've got to be able to show customers that. Hey, thanks for uh, Gary. Gary Keys, you know, we have the, the Zoom platform. A few of, uh, a few people watch, but most of them watch over on Facebook. And we do not monitor the Facebook chat, but I do monitor the Zoom chat because, you know, the studio is equipped for that. Gary Keys says you have to be absolutely confident in your technician's ability to properly diagnose. Then you can sell anything. Wow. Talk about training, Chris. Well, I've heard the term process about a dozen times in the last few minutes. And all of this is cured with process. Uh, Unfortunately, the industry that we're in kind of pushes back on process. We like to be independent. We allow our guys to tell us, "Ah, I don't want to go to training tonight. It's cold outside. I'm tired. Um, Number one reason for not going to training is by a shop owner is I can't get my guys to go. Uh, We're trying to diagnose based on just the smarts that we think this guy has and he's not giving us back any data or value that the customer needs to see, feel, touch, understand so that they'll give up that cash in exchange for those test results and the analysis that Matt did with those test results. And that all comes to process. Every bit of this is process, including the communication between the service advisor and the tech in a well-thought-out process that includes the technicians, the service advisors, the shop owner, and probably a consultant sitting down and defining what that process looks like, what the deliverables are to the customer, and getting buy-in from everybody that this is the way we do it at Joe's Automotive or at Remarkable Results Automotive. This is how we do it. And we're going to hold you accountable to doing it this way. And the reason we do it this way is that's what our customer expects from Remarkable Results Automotive. And so at that point in time, you set those standards of performance for your people and you hold them accountable. And you give the service advisor permission to go back and talk to the tech and have a conversation that is not asking him, is this it? Are you sure? But it's walk me through this so that I can explain this to the customer correctly. And he gives you that package. He walks you through the high points, marks them for you so that you can go up and prepare your conversation with the customer And you can have a meaningful, value-based conversation with that customer. And the customer understands, oh, that's what I paid for. I paid for that guy to analyze that data and give me the test results. And man, that's I don't understand any of this. So you give them a, a challenge or a standard to meet, and then you hold them accountable to it. And I think that's one thing that we in this industry, especially in the aftermarket, are scared to do. And that's hold people accountable to a process. Number one, because we don't have a process in most cases. If it's a process, it's not written down. It's not held uh, to a tight standard. There's no collaborative effort within the shop to put that together. So there's no buy-in from everybody. But when that happens and you hold them accountable, 
then everything starts to work together. The service advisor and the tech all of a sudden become partners. And the tech at that point in time becomes the star in shop. And the service advisor then is selling a premium product delivered by the best in town, the best in the business, because we have Matt Fanslow working for us. We know we can fix that vehicle right the first time. So it it's boils down to, to process, documenting that process, making sure everybody's engaged in building that process, and then holding everybody accountable to it. I like where this went. Chris, Chris, thank you so much for that rant, a good rant. And then Jeremy and Matt, um, you, you got to, if you will, bookend what Chris just said. Uh, and I love what he said. The accountability factor is missing. And maybe we're, as he said, we may be afraid to do it. Is, a, is an owner afraid to put a little too much pressure on the system, knowing that someone could be volatile and leave or not perform right. But in my mind, with the right culture in the right place, with the team pulling the processes together and everybody's got buy-in, it would, in my thinking, be the most perfect way to be the top diagnostic shop because you, as Chris says, you bundled it all together. I, I agree. And I think a couple of things I, I love what Chris said is we're going to get the consumer deliverables. And I love that the deliverables, what package are we going to deliver to the consumer? And Chris, you said, it's what the customer expects. I'm going to go a step further. It's what your customers deserve. Okay. And, and think about this. Tony Robbins shares a concept. He says, if you're selling anything, you should be able to practice and sell that product at 10 times what you normally ask for it. So do this. If you charge 150 bucks for, for a test and analysis package, Sell it for $1,500. Now, if you had a customer that laid down 15, $100 bills up front and said, here, figure out my car. What different would, what different package would you deliver to that client that you don't deliver now? And then that's your perfect process. So Chris laid that out beautifully. And I love the documentation from the technician. When you get the documentation back, you've got it step by step and you're confident that that car is going to be fixed. Then the sky's the limit. And there are shops that struggle with fixing cars today. So to be known as that shop that can fix the vehicle right the first time, you are sitting on an untapped gold mine. And the challenge is this. Think about this. If you show up to your shop on Monday morning and you have 10 cars in your base and they're all drivability concerns, probably not too excited on your sales goal because most service advisors think, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to hit my goal today. Versus you start your day out with 10 timing belt jobs and you're like, oh man, we've got 4,500 bucks in the bank. We've already hit our goal. It's a great day. I'm going to go play golf at two o'clock. You know, it's a different mindset. It's a tougher deliverable, but the process, and I'll share this, the discipline in your process will create the freedom that your business deserves and the revenue. So the discipline and following your process will create a culture within that shop that thrives and what everybody wants. Matt, processes, what's going on at your place? We document what's wrong, and then I get the ticket, and I figure it out, and I write a novel and provide the uh, waveforms or scan data or photos, much like Jeremy uh, discussed, and then present it to the client as, you know, I'm fairly confident that this is going to take care of the issue. So that is the process in a nutshell. I love the, the whole discussion on process. Are there many business coaches, consultants, trainers out there doing, uh, supporting and helping our shop owner with process? I, I would think they, they, they are. And I think you have some that are stronger at it than others. Look, hey, if you're going to hire a business coach, ask them for their disc and make sure you're matched up and they're training you in the right area. If you want somebody to train you on processes, I'll tell you, I'm not your guy. I'm not a process guy. My C is super low that uh, it just it never happens. Mm-hmm. So get the, get the right coach that understands the product. I think there's a lot of coaches, Carmen, that actually train in the process and actually uh, do, do that. So yes. I think there's an unfortunate issue with processes where if a coach is not involved, and maybe specifically when a coach isn't involved, a lot of processes uh, the shop has involve going to an online database or Googling for a repair. It might, end up, it might end up with the ultimate goal of a repaired vehicle. The issue I have is that 
actually devalues what the technician does or could do. You, you take a, a difficult problem that uh, is documented online, and whether it's a pay-for uh, online database, instead of spending that hour to gather information, you're reading about it. Yeah, that seems like that could be it. Sending that through, how do you charge for that? How do you assign value to that? What would it have really taken to come up with that um, problem, finding that issue, versus how long did it take to go online, copy and paste the VIN in, type in the code, read all the results, whether it's on a forum or a, a database, and then issuing that as this should fix the car. That's the silver bullet. It's a double-edged sword. I, I don't want to just run those into the ground, but it's a double-edged sword that you have to play play with a little bit like fire. Just be careful because it can come back at you as deva- it's devaluing what you're trying to do. You know, at, at our at our interview that we did at Vision last year, oh, coming up to about a year now, you were very opinionated about going down rabbit holes and silver bullets. It was, a, it was our first technician roundtable. I would encourage everyone to go and listen to all of them that I've done with Matt, Bob Hype, and Peter Landry. And, and, and I think it, it's almost, you know, they're the really cool bookend type episodes that would work with what we're talking about here. But Matt... How many times have you ever used, have you ever used the, have you ever Googled something to, because you're just buried, you needed to get out of trouble or you weren't even, you weren't sure? Um, yeah, I've, I've had to, I've done it because sometimes, and I, I guess I don't want to single out car lines, but some car lines, service information is very, very difficult to get. So sometimes you're forced to use these and I try not to use the bullet though. I try to get the information so that I can do something to verify that that's why I want to do that. You're using it as a high, high level start. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess it's not unknown that European cars typically have a lot of their service information built into their diagnostic equipment. Unless you own that piece of equipment, you don't necessarily have access to that service information. Now you're handcuffed. Some European cars, the uh, that that diagnostic equipment is really inexpensive. Some of it, it, it hurts. It will hurt. So now you're left with where can I get this information? I think it comes down to the choice. You know, the shop management, the technician themselves. How am I going to use this information? Am I going to use it to develop a process, develop a uh, angle of attack on this vehicle to actually? analyze some data and make a decision or am I going to take it at base value and just turn it over to the service advisor and say, ah, let's try this. I, I think that uh, what Matt's talking about is research. Uh, at the end of the day, we need to move from the diagnostician to an analyst. You're going to analyze the data. And part of what an analyst does is researches the background of the systems he's working on, of what others have found in the field. There's nothing wrong with Googling or looking at a fixed database to see what others have seen and use that as an element of the research that you've done that influences your analysis. And so it's how you package all that to the motorist. It's the deliverable you're going to deliver is... What's wrong with your vehicle? And here's the research that we've done. And the weight you put on a Google search or a confirmed fix is only a small part of that deliverable. So unless you're looking at the confirmed fix and ordering the part and putting it on, then that's where we have to have a conversation with that tech that you're not delivering or presenting to the service advisor what we promise to the customer. And that value needs to be there. And again, that's part of process. I, I couldn't help but think you were talking about the medical profession and the research that's necessary. As you say, Chris, the, uh, the analyzation or, or just to be an analyst. 
Uh, think of the law profession. And, you know, we're, they're going to go fight a case. Well, they've got to read all kinds of case studies to, to, to you know, to find their uh, magic defense or, or, or prosecution or, or whatever it is. And, and I think that's a great point to come up is that there are there are many many sources that get you you know in into your final focus if you will pitch to the motorist is we're going to use all means available to gather information and data to solve the problem that you brought us so google's okay as long as you use it appropriately you okay with that matt uh, yeah, I think the keywords appropriately. Um, I think the aftermarket, specifically aftermarket, and maybe I can't speak to the OEs. I don't know, but I, I would imagine that they're also concerned with it as well. That many times using a search engine like Google comes up with the answer, and I don't mean like the bullet, but the service information you're after. How many quarts of oil fluid does it hold? What the, What is the proper type of fluid? Sometimes looking that up in service information is more of a pain than just typing it into the search bar and getting the accurate answer. I mean, you got to have your BS detectors got to be fairly decent, but it's faster to pull it up on a search engine than it is to use the actual service information. And that's that's brutal. I mean, that sucks. We're supposed it to be professionals. That's, and our using world. Prof- That's our instant world right. today. Four million searches in point one second. <laughs> yeah. We're pushing our professionalism. We want to be professionals, present ourselves as professionals, use professional service or information streams. Uh, but it's faster just to use this, you know. Got it. Let's go around the room. Let's all, you know, find a conclusion to this. I, I really enjoy this. This went places. Every academy seems to go places I never expect. And I guess it's because we have our participants wanted to be here. They were passionate about being here. They did their homework before they showed up. And and we all work so hard to be to make these such valuable, valuable content uh, inside the uh, the podcast. So let me start with Matt. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm struggling. I, the reason I'm watching the academy and I'm listening to this is because I'm having trouble with with selling diagnostic time. Give me give me your conclusion. It's something I wanted to talk about. Uh, we didn't get time, but stop selling time. Let's let's stop diagnostic time. Let's get time out of the equation because that's the common denominator. I would never ever ever try to tell you that my time is worth the same amount as Chris Chesney's time, and I think our paychecks will prove my point. This is far, far, far more valuable. You mean that's above your pay grade? Way, (laughs) way above my pay grade. But the the reality is, is that's a common denominator. But a client can, um, you know, the motorist, our client can go from shop to shop, facility to facility, and compare time. But is shop A's time or their analysis, their process, less or more valuable than shop B, and depending on equipment, training, and technicians' skill and um, what do I want to say, like dedication or passion, may make tech uh, shop A far more valuable. Therefore, they're probably more expensive. But to quote another uh, remarkable results alumni, William Nalu, the most the least expensive way to repair a car is to replace the the bad part or repair that system once absolutely as he always says it's the cheapest way to go it's the cheapest way to go doing it right the first time thank you for that matt appreciate that chris well i think it all boils down to making diagnostics and there's that word again but making what we sell that results in the solution for the customer's problem a premium product and treating it that way, uh, selling the expertise of my staff, selling the fact that we are able to solve problems because we have the factory tooling, the service information, and the skilled technicians who are continually improving their skills through education. That's what we need to start promoting to our customers. Uh, and then making sure that our people are bought into a process. 
And so I, I think I've written to this a couple of times, but it gets down to uh, committing yourself to putting process in place, sitting down with your team and talking about what those processes should look like, getting a coach involved if you need to, uh, and understanding that the process that I might suggest to Jeremy is not going to be the same process that Matt may want or need in his business. That is very dependent upon your market, your vehicles mix, your customer base, and your skill sets in the building. And, and so putting those uh, all your team in the in the same room and talking it through and as a shop owner listening to that team and their expertise and and making sure they understand that what they're saying has value will go a long ways to building a process that, that number one they'll buy into and more importantly that they'll hold each other accountable to so that you don't have to go out and put your thumb on anybody that they hold each other accountable. That's the way a good process works. So I encourage everybody to seek that out. Well said. By the way, Matt, uh, he earned his money on that one. It was great. Wow. Uh, and one of my big takeaways from, from that, Chris, was testing as a premium product. And, you know, that, that's almost, you know, the swing thought. Well, Jeremy will tell you that the cost of doing diagnostics is the most expensive service you offer in the building. It is. So treat it that way. Uh, a businessman wouldn't go in to a business and compare an undercar business and its bottom line and its margins to a 100% diagnostic business with the typical margins or lack thereof that you see in the industry today and choose the drivability business over the other. You wouldn't do it. Agreed. Okay, Jay, take us out. All right, a couple things. Carmen, I want to offer your listeners, I'm going to send you our level one test and analysis package that's broken down with the labor operations and the checklist, so right. you can put it in show notes. I'll put it in show notes. They can download it? or with this? Yep. All right, okay, great. Yeah, right. throw in the show notes and they, they've got it. Thank you. Uh, pricing, pricing out your packages, when you look at it, shouldn't be your standard labor rate. Keep in mind the lost revenue on parts because when you're doing a test, when the test is conclusive, even though you may sell a part with the solution, the customer can say no and leave and you're left with the labor. So you want to account for that. Typically in our courses, we try to, you know, increase the labor rate 25 to 50% on the time. So that's just one part of the package uh, price there. Um, I think, uh, man, I got a lot of notes from this. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Chris, for your time. And again, Carm, thank you uh, for what you do. It's just awesome. Number one, believe, believe, believe. Practice and role play. Get your packages built. Stop selling labor hours. Customers don't want to buy your labor hours. They want to buy the solution. You're a solution provider and you can do it. Just believe in it and make it happen and go out there and conquer the world. Wow, what a great end. Chris Chesney, Senior Director, Customer Training, CarQuest Technical Institute. Matt Fonslow, Shop Manager and Diagnostician. Hmm, tester hmm, hmm, hmm. at Riverside Automotive in Red Wing, Minnesota. And Jeremy O'Neill, shop owner from Freedom Automotive, Hesperia, California, and president and lead sales trainer for Advisor Fix. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 